in the year 1979. And when I read the year, I knew, I knew right then and there. And I called him at work. I said, Paul, our son is looking for us, call. And um, he did, but the social worker had already gone um, for the day. So he called first thing the next morning and he can tell that one. Thanks for tuning into Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. Today, I bring you part two of our interview with Vernon and Debbie Newman. Vernon and Debbie are co-founders of Nova Savior Today Ministries. In our last episode, Debbie was sharing with us the moment they received a letter from the social worker indicating that their son was reaching out to them. He was looking for them. Today, we will continue as Vernon will give his side of the story. So I was at work and I called the number that uh, was in the letter and a woman picked up on the other end. I identified myself and she said, "Um, you apparently received the letter. Do you know what it's about? And I said, yes, it's about my son. And... um, she mentioned that he had been looking for us. And as I was talking, emotions are building up in me to the point of overflowing. And I quickly said to her, my wife is at home. Because she asked you, yeah. where was I? Where yeah, she, she, she didn't know that we, we were, were married. married. So she asked me, where is Debbie? And I said, she's at home. <laughs> <laughs> we're married. And so she felt that he would be happy to know that his parents were together. But I was being overcome with emotions at that point. So I quickly said to her, um, you know, Debbie, I'm sure would love to talk to you. She's at home and uh, please, uh, please give her a call. So I hung up and ran to the nearest private place that I could find, <laughs> which was a bathroom stall. As I closed the door, I just I just let the emotions come out and I just wept and wept and wept. And what I felt at that point was more of that, that weight of guilt that I had been carrying, lifting off of me. It was almost like God was slowly throughout the years as he was helping us grow, chisel away at that guilt. When the social worker called the house and I answered the phone, which I answered very slowly. Um, She asked me if I knew why she was calling. And I told her I had been waiting 29 years for this phone call. (laughs) So I said, yes, you're calling about my son. And she asked me how I felt about it. And this was something that has been a part of my entire life, was waiting to, to know about our son. So yeah, she sent a letter that he had written a year earlier in hopes that if they found one of us, 
that um, they could give the letter to us. So she overnighted that letter that he had written. And that's when we found out all about him, that he was married. He had been married for three years. He had a baby girl that was a year old and she was born on the 19th of May. And I was born on the 14th. And so, yeah, all the things that he had in common with us was amazing. Well, I was amazed when I read his educational and career path. I was in software engineering after having spent nine years teaching mathematics. At the high school level, I went into programming and had been doing that for a number of years and come to find out that my son was also in the computer industry. He was doing networking. He had studied engineering and... uh, We also found out that he was driving a Nissan Altima and I was driving a Nissan Maxima. (laughs) All those things could not have been coincidental. I I think the Lord was trying to tell us that he had been working this out all this time. The the one thing that that really stood out for us, really showing us how God works on your behalf, is I named him Corey Forrest Newman. And when they gave me his birth certificate, I wrote it on his birth certificate and I put it away. I didn't tell Vernon. I did not tell our daughters until they were old enough to even understand about having a sibling and how it came about. But um, when we were finally able to communicate using our names, because at first we could not do that, his adoptive parents named him Corey. And... That just, it blew my mind. And I'm saying only God could do something like that. Because I had asked my brother, I said, do you think he would let me call him by the name that I named him? Um, Vernon's mother called him by his Korean name when we found her. And my brother said, he says, I think he would just to please you. He says, but Debbie, I'm telling you, I don't know how I know this but I feel that's his name. And here it truly was his name. (laughs) God is awesome. (laughs) God is indeed awesome. You know, we talk about God sometimes and we view him as being austere, at least God the Father, you know, merciless sometimes. But God does have a sense of humor and all of what you have just said, you know, highlights how much of a sense of humor God has and how much he cares because the name you gave is a name his adopted parents gave him. Your career path, it's the same trajectory, driving a similar vehicle. So those things are not coincidental, you know, and I'm the kind of individual who, I know it's your interview, but I enjoy reading books. And when I read stories, sometimes I would wonder, you know, is this for real? <laughs> if I were to read your story only, I would you know, is this for real? But hearing it, as we say, from the horse's mouth, then there is no doubt. And speaking about doubt, there are many individuals, they struggle to trust not only God, but they struggle to trust his plans for their lives. And so I'd want you at this moment just to, you know, share with us, why do you think so many persons find it difficult to trust God's plan for their lives? And also an advice to individuals who are struggling with trusting God at this particular moment? I think the simple answer is that they don't know God. 
It may be a simple answer, but I think that gets to the core of why we have so much difficulty relating to God as we ought, because we don't really know him. If we don't know him, we can't love him. If we don't love him, then we can't trust him. In my case, of course, you know, the early childhood, formative years, growing up without a father in South Korea, and even though, you know, the teenage years and upward, I had a father, it, it did not correct my my view of fatherhood. And so that affected how I was a father and also affected how I related to God as, as my father. So, you know, I found myself much of my life saying to God, I want to know you. Much as Moses, I guess, said, show me who you are. Show me your glory. Show me your way. I just wanted God to be real in my life. For most of my life, I, I felt at a distance from him, couldn't connect with him. And so since I could not, I could not trust him fully to get to your, your question. I think that's, that's what our ministry tries to correct, to show folks even through the darkest of time, God is there working things out. But it may not happen overnight. For us, it took 29 years <laughs> in the case of our son that we gave up for adoption. Okay. And in, in my case, my personal case, I was separated from my mother for 40 years. So when God worked it all out, that's when I, it dawned in my mind. You know, God has always been there. Even when I didn't sense him, even when I could not feel that he cared, he was there orchestrating things behind the scenes. When I came to that realization, that light bulb, that spiritual light bulb went off <laughs> in my head, you know, realizing that all those years, that I was struggling to know God. He was trying to get me to know him by, by his patience, by his love and forbearance, finally working things out, bringing me together with my mother, adoptive mother, my birth mother rather, and then with our son eight years later. You know, and that gave birth to our, our ministry that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier. I think to what prohibits people from um, trusting God is they themselves have such guilt like we had. Um, they feel, first of all, that God can't forgive them or that God does not. And because they have that in front of them, it blinds them from seeing that God is really there and he loves them. And like I said before with me in choosing, I had to choose to say, okay, God, I'm going to let you have this. You have to give me peace. I think that's what our ministry does. It releases people and lets them realize that God will forgive me or he has forgiven me. 
I now need to forgive myself. I can't tell you how many people have come to us, sometimes with stories almost similar and sometimes with not the same story, but having the guilt that God can't forgive them. And after hearing our story, walking away with a peace saying, I know that God has forgiven me. There's so much guilt in our lives. It puts blinders on us and we can't see or feel God's love and God's forgiveness. So true. Pressed down by guilt and all the circumstances we are unable to see. And so I, I, I gather your advice would be, you know, just put your all, lay it all before the Lord and everything <laughs> will be perfectly fine. Thank you for saying that. I want to get back to the reunion fully now. When I listen to Vernon speaking, you know, 40 years, you know, when I reflect on the life of Moses, his life was split into uh, three thirds and it, it was, you know, three 40 year periods. So I imagine you have some of the patience of Moses. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one you want to speak about first, whether it's the reunion with your mom or the reunion with your son. So if you can just share how everything just fell in place for you. So for me, um, you know, as I said earlier, I fully integrated into my family and I identified with them. And although I never forgot about my mother, this was my family. This was my country. This is where I belong. And around 1997 or so, I began to feel a deep need of reconnecting with my birthplace, finding my mother, especially after, you know, hearing about God's agape love. I I needed to share that with her. And so I began my search around that time, and, and there was a young, young fella who was about three years older than me, who grew up in the same uh, situation, same village in South Korea as I. He had been missing from my village, as I recall, for a number of months. And one day while I was in class, there was a knock on the window, and there he was. And so I raised the window, And he said, do you want to go to America? And there was no question. I just said, of course. And I closed the window, stood up, raised my hand to catch the attention of my teacher. And he said, Yunbong, what do you want? And I said, teacher, I'm going to America. And (laughs) surprisingly, he let me walk out of the classroom with that. And in a few hours, I found myself with my friend at the Seoul Adventist Hospital. Seoul, of course, is the capital of South Korea. And uh, my friend told them the story that I had been abandoned and didn't have any, any home. So they took me in as an orphan. And apparently he had already been admitted into the orphanage and he was being process for adoption. And so after five months, I too was adopted and he and I and uh, a pair of twins and another girl boarded the airplane together on July the 1st, I believe. And uh, 
flew over. But before that, my mother came to the orphanage a couple of times. And the second time was the day before we boarded the plane. And she gave me a picture of herself and myself. She and I were on the picture. And on the back, she had written her name and address. And she gave it to me and she said, please don't forget me, stay in touch. And she cried and I remember holding her. And then I put that, that picture in my pocket of my overalls. But the next day, they give us new clothes. So I took the overall off and of course, never thought about the picture until, oh, days later. I'm already in America now. And I'm, I'm thinking of, I'll never be able to connect with her because I, I don't have any way to do it. So after getting here and going to college and starting a career and getting married and starting to raise a family and then number of years later, I just, I just felt this sense that I needed to go back and reconnect. And uh, I found my friend living in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, he and I talked for a couple of hours over the phone and I told him what I was planning to do is to go back and try to search for my mother. And he said, he said, your mother is dead. My mother, he said, told me a few years ago that your mother had died. Of course, I was depressed, but the Spirit of God told me to press on. And so I, I did. I went over there and uh, searched, but I couldn't find anything that was recognizable. I couldn't find my village. But I had uh, connected with a Korean woman on the internet before going. And she met me on the last day that I was there on that first trip. And uh, she said that she would help me to, you know, locate my, my village after my return. And, uh, you know, perhaps find out where my mother was buried and so forth. But to make a long story short, the next year, I got an email from her saying, I think I'm getting close to finding your village. And then the next set of emails was, and I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I mean, I just, I just looked at it because it didn't register. The subject title said, alive mother with several exclamation points. And it didn't make any sense because I'm thinking my mother is dead. And here is this uh, email that's saying in the subject title, my mother is alive. So I opened the email and she says, I found your mother. She's still living in the same village. She's been waiting these 40 years for you to return to. And so the next year, took my wife and uh, met my mother, spent uh, about a week there and then came back. And then a few months later, I took my daughters and my wife over again so that they could meet their grandmother. And uh, then from then on, we were going back and forth. And eventually I said, why don't you, why don't you come live with me, with us? And she, she, she didn't like the idea at first, but I prevailed upon her and her friends told her to go ahead. And uh, she uh, finally relented and she came over. And 
was here for about four months. And during that four month period, I connected her with Koreans that I knew in the area. We were living in Reading, Pennsylvania at the time. And they would come up, take her out to shop. And even on Sabbath, because they were Adventists, they would pick her up, take it to a Korean church in Philadelphia. And that went on for four months. But come to find out, she was, she was not acclimating to the new culture, new food, new language, new everything. And uh, she was in her, close to her 80s, I guess. So she wanted to go back and she went back. But before she went back, I made her promise that she would continue going to church. And, uh, in 2006, I had planned to go back and see how she was doing. And I thought in my mind, it would be wonderful to be able to see her being baptized while I was over there because I had connected her with a, an Adventist church there not far from her village. And the pastor was, uh, you know, sending deacons and elders over every Sabbath to pick her up. And come to find out that one Sabbath, when I couldn't find her at home, she was at church being baptized. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was just amazing to, to understand that God had worked this aspect of the story out as well and brought her into the faith. And she, you know, she was an Adventist until the day she died in 2018. She was almost 93 when she passed away. Nice long life. And so I praise the Lord for all of that. <laughs> yes, yes. Of course, um, the day that Corey uh, decided to come visit us for the first time, my wife had a previous engagement. She, she was supposed to speak at a women's retreat. And the topic, I believe, that the Lord gave her was the love of God, God or something. something. Yeah. And uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39. That was but when uh, we were initially reconnected with our son, Corey, uh, she forgot all about her engagement and didn't have anything prepared. <laughs> and uh, then she finally realized a, a couple of days, you know, to go, you know, before Sabbath and she had to speak. I don't have anything prepared. And the Lord impressed upon her. I was praying, I'm saying, Lord, I, I have to speak now and I, I have nothing. And he reminded me of the scripture that was given. And he said, tell the Corey story. So God had that already worked out. He already knew what I was going to talk about because thing with Corey. But um, I was there preaching. I called Corey to let him know that I would not be there when he got there, that his father would be there. He could spend the time with him, that I had to speak. But his sisters were taking me. It's an hour drive. And as soon as I finished speaking, I would be right back. And so he, he got to spend the time. Yeah. So Corey came with his family, his, uh, his wife and uh, daughter. She was one year old at the time. And when he drove up in my driveway, I ran to the car and he got out slowly. And he reached out to shake my hand. But... I just ignored that hand and I just embraced him and said, said to him, my son, my son, my son. And uh, tears welled up in me at that time. 
again, realizing that God had orchestrated even this, bringing our son back to us. And it was just another, just unbelievably awesome experience, knowing that God not only cares, but he loves. And he, you know, he, he wants families together. Ultimately, he wants everyone in his family, of course. Mm. But even in our earthly families, he, he doesn't like to see families broken up for any reason. But with sin, of course, there are extenuating circumstances that cause these fractures. But when um, I finally got there, and I was surprised at myself because I thought I was going to just really just break down and cry. But when I saw him and I just looked at him, it was almost in my eyes, I saw that little baby again. And I just walked up to him and I touched his eyes. I touched his nose. I touched his ears. I touched his mouth. And I touched his arms and his hand. And then he just took his hands and he put it on my face. And he said, mom, I'm all here. <laughs> I'm all here. And um, I just held him. I just held him. And it was like, I didn't want to let him go. And um, afterwards we all sat down and we talked and he and his sisters, we, we were just so amazed at how much their thought process was the same. Um, they were finishing each other's sentences and they started running around the house like they were little children catching up on lost time. It was just so amazing. Um, we found out more things that, that were so similar to us, the things that he liked to do. I was an interior decorator at that time, retired now, but he loved design. He was into um, designing certain things and um, sports, love sports. Well, Ray and I are not real big sports fans, but our daughters are. And so they were all into that. I mean, it's just so many things. It was just, I couldn't get over. It, it felt like he had always been there because there was nothing that was odd. It felt like it was supposed to be. And even Corey said, it feels like I've been here. You know, it feels like I've always been here. We stood back looking at them and we felt like these proud peacocks, you know, just, just so proud and so, so grateful and humbled how much God loved us. Seeing the children, seeing the grandbaby, seeing our children together, our daughter-in-law, it was like a picture. And the words over that picture were saying, see how much I love you. You know, you could just see that was God saying that to you. And it was at that moment for both of us, we realized how much God loved us and how he took our foolish mistake and turned it into something that was wonderful and loving. It really, really brought into focus uh, for me, as I reflect back on that time, you know, that God really does love us. And he's never far away, never ignoring you, never dismissing you. He's always working to try to get your attention and get you to see him for who he is. God created us to be in a, in a loving relationship. That's what motivated him to create Adam and Eve and all of us that have come from them. 
And sin has done a number in separating us from him and to the point that we, we have this distorted view of God. And so he's trying to correct it. Of course, he sent his son and given us his word. And, and we think about all those things in, in our minds, but sometimes they're just theoretical. We don't really experience them until something like this happens. And it dawns on you, God is real and his love is real. And that he never leaves us. We walk away, but he never leaves. And he's still there waiting for us to turn around and come back. Yes, those were the words he gave to Joshua. He said to Joshua, be of good courage, you know, fear not because I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the group a cappella, they have a song which says he was there all the time. I must say thanks to you both for taking the time out to share with us your story. So for the benefit of my listeners, my guests today are Vernon and Debbie Newman. And they are the co-directors of this special ministry, Know the Savior Today Ministries. Your story has been amazing thus far, but I want to give you the opportunity in case, you know, persons would want to get in touch with you. How do they go about getting in touch with you? You outlined before that you do presentations, you put on programs, that kind of thing. How do persons get in touch with you? We have a website. Uh, The address of the website is knowthesaviortoday.com. And we have an email address, which is the same, except it's at Gmail, knowthesaviortoday at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page for Know the Savior Today. And so it's easy. If you remember those words, type it in uh, either Facebook or if you want to email us, you know, at gmail.com or if you want to visit our website, and uh, leave a comment there. We can, we'll get that at our Gmail account. But if you want to invite us to your church or an event or one of your groups or whatever, you know, you can use one of those methods to reach us, either the website or the email address or, or Facebook, and we'd be happy to um, oblige. The Lord has compelled us to do this ministry. It's, it's not the easiest thing, opening yourself up before the world with such intimate things. But I, we believe that the Lord has given us this ministry because there are so many people out there who are hurting and broken. And it is only God's love that can heal our brokenness and put us back together as only he can. So please call us, send us an email, and we'd be happy to make arrangements to speak at your church or event. We tell people that we are a working miracle. We will be married 42 years coming November, and God has been in the center of that. And so, yeah. Amen. Once more, it is Know the Savior Today Ministries. And in case you are doubting when they say you can contact them via email or go on their website, I can vouch, you know, I sent a message and in no time I got a response. So I can vouch. And one of the things that I notice when I look at their mission statement, you know, 
this lovely verse from St. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So their mission is for persons to get to know the Lord. Now, just before you go, um, Brother Vernon and Sister Debbie, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? You know, there's a statement uh, from Sister Wade. I think it's taken from Testimonies, Volume 9. And she says that, you know, we're approaching the time of the end. There's going to be trouble all over the world. And certainly we are in a time where, you know, with this pandemic and other things that the pandemic has overshadowed, things that are going on that indicates that, you know, we are near the time of the end. And she says that it becomes us, therefore, to know God. And she ends it by saying, there is no time for delay. And so our, our ministry's name embraces that and calls folks to know the Savior today. There's a sense of urgency in the name because there's an exclamation point after the word today, because there is no time for delay. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You've been in tuned to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You can subscribe to weekly episodes on Apple, Spotify, and Listen Notes, or go to the App Store and download the AWR app. Until then, I am Marlon Walters saying goodbye. May God bless you. You've been listening to the Upward Way Podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.